Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. It is an absolute privilege for us to have Donna with us. Uh, Donna is part of Regions Beyond. Yeah. We love Regions Beyond. We get them all the time. Um, and so Donna's part of the kind of global team and uh, she's just an, um, an amazing, inspiring speaker and just has some wonderful stories. So I'm going to hand over to Donna and just ask her to, to, to bless us with whatever it is God puts on her heart to bring. Okay, why don't we give Donna, Donna a round? Thank you so much for having me today. I was born in um, Isleworth. And so I think that's not too far away. As I was driving here, I was like, oh, I almost feel like I'm on home territory. So uh, I'm now based in Gateway Church in Swindon, um, but I'm regularly out in uh, Burundi, tiny little nation right in the heart of Africa. And I just really want to share with you uh, today um, the story that you uh, are caught up in as part of um, Regions Beyond in terms of what God is doing in Burundi. So... Um, let's see if I can manage the technology. Um, so I first went to Burundi in 1999 uh, as a teacher and was invited to go and teach a group of um, orphaned um, children with a lady called Chrissy Chapman who was a midwife. Um, and I just want to say at this point, sometimes when uh, I tell my story, people um, have this illusion that if you're going to go and serve in another nation, you're like really super spiritual or you're really sorted out. And I just want to blow that myth out of the <laughs> out of the water um, because I came from a very dysfunctional family. Um, didn't know my real dad. Had a mum who was mentally ill and made regular suicide attempts. At one point, was taken away from my family and lived with. Uh, relatives and many other things and uh, I was a mess basically and uh, when I really encountered God uh, I'd actually been saved about 10 years but had spent 10 years trying to follow rules and regulations and then uh, met with God in the in the church that I'm in now and I was at the front for about three years, every single Sunday, coming forwards and just like, God, is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to get sorted? You know, have you, have you got anything for me? And uh, by the grace of God, who takes us in our weakness and, and in our brokenness, he's been healing me. I still don't think I'm sorted. I still feel very weak. Um, but God uses us as we are. So I just want to say that at the outset. Um, don't disqualify yourself um, today. And um, At the end, I'll probably show you a short video which was made last year when a couple of people from my church came out with me. And uh, one of them, a guy called Clive, about three days into the, to the visit, he said to me, he said, Donna, this is such a faith-building trip. And I said, oh, that's brilliant. Why? What's God doing? He's like, he said, I've just seen you in a whole different light. He's like, if God can use you, God can use anybody. <laughs> so take that as an encouragement. So, okay, so... Um, I, uh, 
I ended up going to Burundi to teach a group of orphan children. And uh, soon after I got to Burundi in 1999, the uh, director of the work there said, oh, Donna, we're starting up an international school and you're the person to do it. And I remember thinking, God, you've got me here under false pretenses. I have no idea um, how to do this. Um, but uh, again, by the grace of God, um, the school was started, and that was my focus while I was in um, Burundi. So we had 47 orphan children that we were working with, and this was during the Civil War. And many of the children had horrendous stories and had suffered huge traumas. Um, some were orphans of HIV and other things, but some had um, actually seen their parents killed in front of them. And so um, we had these... Um, young people that um, we were trying to see restored and lifted up. And uh, one of those guys who's important to the, to the story now is a young guy called uh, Marungwa, um, who's there. He was eight years old when I first went to um, Burundi, and there's uh, a group of young guys there. And uh, I wanted to adopt them. Um, I was single, I'm still single, and it wasn't possible um, at that point. But God has really put them um, in my heart, and I'll come back to that later. It's just important to, um, to know that. So skipping a big chunk of the story, after I'd been in Burundi three years, God had given many promises and God had basically said that, that we were going to see churches planted and we were going to see a change in the nation, that there'd be churches that would be a light um, and a beacon of hope. Um, and then God spoke to me in 2001 and basically told me that I was to go back to the UK. I'd given up everything. I'd got rid of my, uh, my house, my car, um, my job, and... Uh, it was one of those times in life when you're like, really, God? It's like, I don't understand this. You made all these promises. I gave up everything to come here. Three years later, you're sending me back. And I really didn't understand. And I questioned the promises that God had given. I questioned the prophetic words that we had had. So there's a whole story of what happened between then and 2010, which I won't go into today. But basically... At the beginning of 2010, I had a Facebook message from Marungwa, who you just saw when he was eight years old. And Marungwa, now aged 20, sent me a message and said, why did you leave? I wanted you to be my mum. And it stirred something in my heart. And I was like, God, what have I done to those kids? You know, I love them so much and loved Burundi. And Burundi had remained in my heart. But I honestly thought I would never go back. And then when I got this message, it just made me think, I need to go back and I need to explain um, to those kids what, um, why I had to, you know, why I had to leave, that basically God had said to leave. But we hadn't been able to have any uh, contact with the kids and I, you know, I was imagining all sorts of, of things. And so, um, and at that point... Um, Again, another part of the story I won't share today, but I was living by faith financially, and I was like, I can't just get on a plane and, and go to Burundi. But then after a few months, God spoke to me, and I just felt one day God said, go back to Burundi. And it seemed really random. I was involved in Zimbabwe at that point, and uh, 
I, I rang up Mark, our church leader at that time, and I just said to Mark, Mark, do you think I'm crazy? I feel like God's saying go back to Burundi. And Mark said to me, I often think you're crazy, Donna. <laughs> he said, but you do hear God. He said, why don't you go back and see what God will do? I'm so thankful for those words. So I went back to Burundi and I met with uh, Marungwa, who's pictured there, and uh, some of the other orphans um, that uh, we'd cared for. And I also met a man called Everest, who's standing on the mountains there. Now, Everest had been the person who, when I'd first gone to Burundi, had um, uh, been our school administrator. And when I went back in 2010, he met me at the airport, and he asked me if I'd like to see the rural areas of Burundi, which I jumped at the chance. When we'd lived there, it was during the Civil War. We'd once tried to go out of the city up into the rural areas. We got caught in crossfire, and that was it. The, the team was not allowed out of the city again. So the three years I spent in Burundi, I felt like I never really knew Burundi. Burundi is like 90% rural, and I'd only really seen city life in a very limited way. So I jumped at the chance to go with Everest, and uh, we went up into the mountains to his home village and uh, he took me to that place he's standing a place he calls prayer mountain and he told me a most amazing story um he told me that in 1993 he had gone there as a young christian he'd only been a christian six months and he was praying on prayer mountain and god spoke to him and god said to him you will see transformation wherever your eyes can see now, from that spot on Prayer Mountain, as you look out, you see Burundi, Rwanda, Congo, and Tanzania. So a huge promise. And then God spoke to Everest and said, now go back to the city. Everest didn't understand why. He did what God said. He went back to the city. That night, war broke out. And Everest said God saved him, not from, not from being killed, but from turning killer because uh, it was a tribal war, um, Hutus and Tutsis and the people in his village, he said, almost all of the men ended up going on a mass killing spree. And Everest said, if I'd have been there, I would have been caught up in that. And so God saved him. So he was in Bujumbura and for many years lived with this promise but couldn't go back up to his home, home village. The civil war lasted about 12 years uh, hundreds of thousands of people were killed in the most horrific ways. And so Everest remembered the promise, but it wasn't really at the forefront of his mind. Um, however, when I went back in 2010 and he took me there, he said, oh, a couple of years ago, he said, I came back up to this mountain and uh, he said, I, um, I, God reminded me of this promise. And I said to God, well, what do you want me to do about it. And God spoke to him and said, the problem is cows and the answer is cows. And in Burundi, you have these huge Ancoli cattle um, that are pictured there, and they're kind of a bit like parasites in that they, they overgraze the land, they don't give much milk. People see them as status symbols, so they're reluctant to kill them for their uh, meat, even though um, their meat is really good. So Burundi is one of the poorest nations, one of the hungriest nations. Poverty is absolutely rife. So you see these families that are in utter poverty with children that 
are starving, and yet if they have a cow, they, they don't kill it because it's seen as such a status symbol. And so, and these cows just wander around freely and, and uh, children follow them. And so Everest felt that God was saying to him that he needed to bring in freezing cows, which would produce more milk. The, the Ancoli cattle produce one to two litres of milk a day. And so Everest, following God's leading, bought two cows out of his own money, had them imported from Tanzania into Burundi, and was completely ridiculed by everybody for two years. Um, when people just laughed at him and Everest was saying, these cows will bring you out of poverty. The milk they give you, 10 to 15 litres of milk a day um, is enough to bring you out of poverty. Let me take the milk, sell it down in the city. And for two years, people didn't believe him and just laughed at him. However, after that time, two families took these cows and within weeks were lifted out of poverty. Everest would take the milk down to the city, would um, process it, sell it, and all of the money would go back up to the people in the village. And so two families initially lifted out of poverty, could send their children to school, could afford to build, uh, start building themselves houses. And so people began to think, hang on a minute, something is happening here. And uh, when I met Everest in 2010, he had 30 cows in his village. And as I'd stood with him on that mountain that day, and he told me about this, and, and uh, I said to him, Everest, do you think, are you, will, will you ever start a church here? And he said to me, for sure, Donna. He said, God has told me that I must model something different. Um, Burundi is very Christianized, but hugely legalistic and there's not really any example of New Testament church and because Everest was saying to me you know I believe we're going to see transformation of people's hearts and transformation of the land it seemed obvious that God would want to uh, to to start a, a, a new church there then I said to Everest, Everest, have you heard of something called foundation, uh, Farming God's Way? It's now called Foundations for Farming. And he said, I have, he said, but I don't know how to find out about it. And it's a way of farming that gives an average of 10 times more crops and has been used widely in Zimbabwe and, again, is lifting people out of poverty. And so... At that point, I was working with the team in uh, Zimbabwe that were pioneering this way of farming, working with the founder, which was such a privilege. And I really felt God was saying, you know what, I've brought you back to Burundi for purpose. And so I began to get behind Everest, and I thought, I want to see Everest be successful in this vision. I don't know what I can do other than link him up with people that can help him. So linked him with Steve Oliver, who leads our family of churches in regions beyond and Steve said yep we can help you Everest to plant a church and felt I could link him up with the guys in Zimbabwe and I thought I'm just going to get behind Everest and uh, help him get more cows his vision was to see these good cows as he calls them the Frisian cows come right across um, Burundi um <laughs> It is utterly amazing that um, people have been lifted out of poverty through this. And um, uh, a church has also been started up in Everest Village because as he was giving out the cows, he would preach the gospel and many people were saved. I just want to show you a short, um, very short video which was just filmed uh, at the beginning of this year, which will then just kind of complete the story of Milk for Transformation. And then I'm going to tell you some of the other things that we're... Um, involved in so 
So I just think it's incredible that Everest's obedience to, to God has had such a phenomenal impact. In his village now, there's over 400 families which have the cows. There's a breeding program um, underway, and that represents thousands of um, literally thousands of people that have been lifted out of um, poverty. Um, and it's absolutely phenomenal what God can do when we are obedient to him. And I often think, gosh, you know, when Everest heard God say that and he acted on it, I think even though his vision was big, he had no idea. And now we're um, taking that, this uh, cow project and utterly amazing to other areas of Burundi. So... Um, Let's just skip that one. For myself, I became involved in uh, project managing um, this equipment. Not that I know anything about it, but God kind of involved me with a team of engineers who uh, helped create this equipment so that we could scale up the milk business. And for a long time, that was my focus in, uh, in Burundi, working alongside Everest, but really involved in the detail of this milk enterprise. And uh, as I say, we had a small church up in the village. And we, we were thinking, uh, Regions Beyond was involved at this point, not that we were called Regions Beyond then, but we were thinking that God was going to start um, the work through Everest Village. And then God spoke to us. And uh, we were with Steve Oliver. It was, there was an Embracing the Poor task team. And God spoke to us in those days. And God said, I want you to think differently. I want you to think of the city and to establish a base in the city from which you will reach the nation and surrounding nations. Now, this was a huge thing for us. We had to completely shift mindset. But as it happened, I was about to go back to Burundi after this um, team. And uh, you can see Everest and his wife, Anique, there. And there I am, standing with Marungwa, who by this point had done a year in the UK, a year's training with uh, my church, and had really got on board with us in the vision and had become my son and I'd become his, his mum. Basically, he calls me mum. And so God had, God had his ways um, all those years ago. So we are, we are now family. And actually, Marungwa is now leading our team out in, in Burundi, which is just phenomenal how God raised him up. But, so this is back in 2012. And God told us that we were to build this centre and so we needed to look for a piece of land. I was in Burundi. God, uh, sorry, a lady rang Everest and said, are you looking for land? She knew nothing about this. And we said, we are, actually. And uh, she said, I've got a piece of land on the outskirts of the, the city in, um, that I'm looking to sell. And so we said to her, where is it? And she said, it's at the gate of the city. And when she said that, something went off inside us, and we kind of felt this vision that God had given us come to life. The gate of the city is the, the road that goes to, uh, to Rwanda and to Tanzania, and you actually look out across Congo. So we went to visit this piece of land, and when we stood on it, we found out that it was the site of one of the worst massacres um, during the Civil War, and it was actually effectively just a mass grave. Um, and we stood on this piece of land... But we felt God said to us, this will be a place of hope and healing and restoration. So I remember emailing Steve and said, Steve, I think we know to go for this piece of land. It's £100,000 and we don't have anything, but we believe God wants us to have it. Six months later, 
God had given us every single penny and more for that piece of land, and we were able to buy it. It was absolutely incredible how God did it. Um, then in 2014, we had a team out from Regions Beyond with Steve and others, and uh, we're pictured there standing on the piece of land, and we felt that God was telling us it was time uh, to start using the piece of land, that we were to redeem it, and the people would be restored. Now, it's worth me saying at this point, we have been seeking to plant a church, gathering a group of Everest friends of about 20 people, teaching them uh, foundations and giving input, but not a lot was happening, but we were thinking, okay, let's move forward, let's build this training center um, in our human wisdom. <laughs> the next month, there was a natural disaster in Burundi, um, flooding, landslides, mudslides, rock slides, it was horrendous. And one of the worst affected areas was this community where we have our land, a place called Gatunguru. Uh, over 100 people were killed. Um, the mud houses were just swept away. People had nothing. And this is a very poor community. Obviously, no insurance, nothing to fall back on. And so people's lives were absolutely devastated. Um, at this point, we didn't really know the community at all. But we're like, well, we can hardly now go and build a nice big building on this piece of land where people have lost everything. Um, and that was our piece of land. It had all been completely churned up, but obviously more than that was the trauma that had been suffered by the community. Um, we um, took up an offering through Regions Beyond Churches to be able to support those in crisis. And at the same time, we came across this other community called Chirama. And um, Chirama was a place where we thought initially the people there had been flooded um, and lost their homes through flooding, but it turned out not to be the case. Actually, they'd accused of being rebels and had been put on this piece of land, but God kind of led us to them. And so at this point, we're involved in two communities, Chirama and Gatunguru, and uh, we began to get alongside people. We sent in food, um, medical equipment, um, clothes, and have continued really to do that support for the last four years as it is it is now month by month by month standing with those in crisis. In Gatanguru, where we have our land, we're able to help people get back into rented homes and, and gave people loan, or grants rather so they could start up their businesses again. And we saw that community start to be lifted up. But this uh, community of um, Chirama... Oh, let me go back the other way, sorry. This community of Chirama, the people weren't allowed to leave... Um, they were patrolled by armed guards and they became known as the forgotten people. And they were living in complete... Um, sorry, I keep going the wrong way. Just, it, it was horrendous. When we, first, when we first drove up, I felt like we were coming to an animal farm. You know, like somehow, sometimes over here you see those pig farms with the... Um, the uh, corrugated eye and things. And I thought we were coming to an animal farm, and then I realised that there were 800 families living on this small piece of land. No water, no sanitation, nobody was allowed to help them. When we asked for permission to take food, we were told no, that we would be arrested. 
Um, but we felt God spoke to us and said, no, I've sent you here. So we went ahead anyway, and God just protected us. It was amazing. And then we began to preach the gospel. We began to, to go back uh, month by month by month and uh, just stand with the people. But I've never seen such hopelessness in people's eyes. Their eyes were, were bleak, and they would grab hold of us as we, as we left, and they'd be like, help us, help us, help us. Absolute desperation. Um, Fast forwarding a couple of years, Everest had to flee the country. Burundi's very tense again at the moment. It's very volatile. It's more of a political crisis now than it is um, a civil war. Um, But Everest had lost 76 members of his family in the first genocide. And in 2015, when trouble started again, Everest felt that God spoke to him and said, take your family and leave the country. And so he went initially to Uganda and is now in Rwanda um, growing stevia, a sugar substitute. Um, I won't go into that today except to say that obviously God has promised us transformation in those surrounding nations and we think it's amazing that in Everest fleeing, he's now based in Rwanda in a place that you can see from Prayer Mountain. And when I went to visit him, when we were asking God, do you want us involved in this stevia growing in Rwanda? You could look out from the, from the mountains in Rwanda into Burundi, and I'm like, Everest, where's your village? And he's like, it's over there, Donna. And my heart, just faith just rose. And I'm like, God, in all these problems and challenges, you are working out your purposes, and we now have a base in Rwanda. Long way to go, lots to see happen, but Everest is still there. And so Everest asked if I would lead the work in uh, Burundi, which God had really put on my heart to do. And within four weeks of that, just as I was making plans to move to Burundi, um, I was diagnosed with cancer. And it was another one of those moments where, which we've had so many of, where you're just like, God, now what? You know, you speak, and then it's this enormous fight to see the promises of God. And I'm learning, Steve Oliver often says, there's no promise without a fight. And this promise of transformation is huge, and we're having to fight for it. So for several months, I wasn't able to be in Burundi, obviously, as I was going through uh, treatment in the in the UK. Thank God it was caught early and so I didn't have to have chemo but radiotherapy and I was out for six or seven months um, in the UK. But in that time God was speaking to me about his kingdom and particularly through Isaiah 61 and if I can just I just want to read this because we live with this in Burundi. um, Passage often known as the kingdom manifesto. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the dignity, oh, sorry, for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. 
They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And during those months, I just felt God kept speaking to me, learn what it is to seek first the kingdom and I will build my church. And so over and over again in my, in my mind, I just kept hearing, seek first the kingdom, Jesus will build his church. And so in these verses, which talk about the captives being set free, you know, we're like, that actually is about seeing people um, set free from poverty, amongst other things. But in, in Burundi, where people are in the grip of poverty and where there's such brokenness and such devastation, I, in these months of going through cancer treatment, was feeling more and more convinced that God was with us and we were going to see incredible things in the years and months ahead. Um, when I went back to Burundi, I was amazed as we went back and met with one of the guys in the, in the community, a man called Idifonts, who'd started to gather people that we'd been supporting and had really told them that God was with them. He said, look, you know, you cried out to God in all the devastation of the flood and the, and the trauma. And he's like, God sent friends from around the world. And whenever we would be there, we would say to people, you know, you're fa- you have family in other nations that have responded. And through the, the kindness that was expressed to them, people began to get saved. And so I went back and found that we had a group of about 60 people um, gathering to this man called um, Idifonts. And when I went back with Idifonts, Marungwa came with me and we sat with Idifonts and he shared his heart. God had given him a dream of transformation in Gatanguru and we shared our heart. And Idifonts said, can we work together? It seems like God has joined our, our hearts, and I was like, God, that's amazing. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus will build his church. And this group of 20 that we've been gathering just was not bearing any fruit, and yet God was doing it in, in his way as we learned what it was to seek the kingdom. Um, our Charama friends, the forgotten people, had been having a horrendous time in the camp. We'd continue to send food, but they continued to be oppressed and seen uh, as rebels. And uh, on one particular day, the authorities turned up and completely destroyed the camp, told them that they were shame on the city and that they must just disappear. They obviously had nowhere to go. They had nothing at all to rely on. And I remember um, one of our our guys in Burundi ringing me and saying, Donna, we don't know if we'll ever be able to see them again. It's too dangerous for us to be in contact with them. And that was one of those most heart-wrenching moments when you're like, God, we've got relationship with these families now what? What's going to happen now? We've been investing in, the, uh, in this community. We've been providing for them. Now we can't even reach them or, or contact them. And, and my heart was breaking, and I just felt like God was saying, I love them more than you love them, and I've got this. But I didn't know what that meant. Like th- meant. Three months later, I was back in Burundi. Um, I, was in my, I have a house there, and I was in the house, and there was a knock at the gate, and my guard came and got me, and and said, uh, Donna, the Chirama people are at the gate. And I suddenly panicked, imagining there to be like about 800 people at the gate, but it was actually just the Chirama leaders. And they said, we heard you were back. God led us to you. And it was amazing. I'm like, how did you find us? And they're like, we prayed, and God led us. And we just found that God had done this amazing work in this community. And their testimony, we sat on the, on the terrace of my house, and 
and drinking tea and we're like, how have you survived? And they said, praise God, none of us has died. And they'd survived basically by, by scavenging, but they'd encountered God in the most incredible way and their eyes were alive and they had hope. And it was like, God, it is incredible how you just work. Whenever there seems to be the biggest crisis is where we've seen God move the most. Okay, I need to whiz forward. So, 211 families had found their way back to the community of Chirama and were living in basically partly built houses that they'd been given permission to stay in. And so, it was like God had uh, joined us back with them. We began to send food again. Um, but the conditions, these are the conditions that they're still living in now. It's absolutely um, horrendous. Um, some don't even have a shelter at all, so they're literally just living in the, in the mud and typhoid and malaria and everything is absolutely um, rife. But there was one particular day um, just a few months ago where we were meeting with the leaders of the community and we felt God had led us to Psalm 113. And this particular scripture, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. And as we met with the Chirama leaders that day, and we looked at this scripture together, um, I just felt God said to me, tell them they're not victims, which felt really hard to do. It's like, you know, I have somewhere to live. I have food. I haven't had to go through, endure what they've had to endure but I felt that's what God said. I very nervously went for it and said, you know, you're not victims. You are ministers of transformation in this, in this nation. Shared with them the vision that God had given us and said, I believe you're supposed to be at the forefront of this. You know, and in regions beyond, we have a value of embracing the poor and not just projects, but to see the poor lifted up, to see them empowered and to see them at the forefront of reaching their own nation and began to share this with them. And as I did, they just wept and they just repented and, and they're just like, that is how we've seen ourselves, but now we see it different. And it was just like a moment of, of revelation where they're like, we want, to, we want to think differently. We want to rise up. We want to join with you in this vision of transformation. And as I say, they're still living in the mud. They're still living in the dust. But they have grown in God phenomenally. And they, this passage in Isaiah 61, they talk, where it talks about um, people being lifted, lifted up. And we're seeing God establish oaks of righteousness. These leaders are phenomenal. And, you know, often people are like, oh, it's so inspiring what you do. And it's like, no, no, what's inspiring is going and being with these guys, our friends in Chirama, where God has got hold of them. And I learned so much through them when I go. And they, they said to me a while back, they said, you know, we've learned that a promise is a promise. They've learned to take hold of scripture and to say, God, you said it, we're believing you for it. And they are changing. Um, uh, I'm going to skip this because there's not much time and I just want to get to the, to the end. Actually, no, let me quickly tell. 
very quickly, because it is really, I know you've had uh, Limboy with you today. Um, just after that, we were gathering um, in one of the homes, giving out milk that we give out to children to avoid malnourishment. And uh, this guy, Jean-Claude, came to me and gave me a letter. And he's like, can you help us? We want, he said, I'm a, um, I'm a footballer and I, and I need some football kit for my, for my, um, for my team. And, uh, and he said, I want to set up something called Sports for Transformation. And if I'm honest, I was a bit like, ah. you know, we were there doing other stuff and business training. And I'm like, I'm not sure if we've got time for this. But thankfully, um, God intervened. And I said, OK, give us, I said, tell me about it. I said, you've got 10 minutes. Um, share with me your heart and your vision. And as he was talking, just suddenly felt like, are you, like, are you saved? And his whole face lit up, and he's like, oh, yeah. He said, I, 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 um, I met with God when I was in prison. I was a rebel, and God... Oh, that's telling me my time's up. So I'm on the wind down. <laughs> but um, this is a good story to end on. He said, God met with me when I was in prison. 18 years, six of those... Sorry, 12 of those in solitary confinement. Imagine. And God met with him, and... Um, after he got saved, the uh, prison officials somehow found out he could run and used to use him to go and catch criminals. And so he developed basically this passion for sport. And then this passion for sport had then uh, turned into a passion to see young people um, encounter Jesus and not make the mistakes that he'd made. So suddenly, there was me thinking I was just, you know, I would just give this guy 10 minutes. And suddenly, this incredible story. And um, although at the, at the moment in Burundi, you're not allowed to gather people, um, it's illegal to gather people, but we had like about 100 people pressed into this house, people outside looking through the windows, and there's this guy sharing his testimony. And uh, we had a, a guy on our team, a guy called Sylvester, who's an evangelist, and I just nudged him, and I'm like, Sylvester, I believe this is a day of salvation. Use your gift. And he stood up and preached the gospel, and five people came up, and just knelt in the middle of the room, tears of repentance flowing down their faces. And uh, there's one guy there, um, you can't, I don't think you can see him very clearly in that picture, but just at the side that stood at the end and he said, I never knew the mercy of, um, the mercy of God even covered murder. He's like, I am a rebel too. And just like, God, you are on the move here. In this community that has been known as the forgotten people that have been despised and rejected, that are living in the most horrendous circumstances, you're breaking in, you've broken in through somebody wanting football kits, which is just amazing and to me is just like a, a sign of, of the kingdom breaking out. And so those five people were very clearly um, saved that day. And uh, as a result of that, really, the Chirama people then came and said, you know what, we, we think that uh, we need to start a church, and will you help us? We're like, there you go again, God. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom. Um, Jesus will, will build his church. So um, we now have a second church, City, City, church, uh, City Gate Church, um, Chirama. It's emerging, that it needs lots of work. You know, we're very early on in the days. I don't want to claim that we're further on than we are. But God 
is at work, and we'd had a prophetic word from Julian Adams back in 2011 that there'd be multiple church plants happening at the same time, and we, begin, we believe we're just about to see that happening now. So I'm going to leave it there. There's more I could say, but I'm just, I just want to leave it there, and, uh, and just I hope that that's given you some insight into how God is really raising up the the poor, putting them at the forefront of what he's doing in uh, Burundi. We now have a team of six people on the ground, as I said, led by Marungwa, an orphan who God got hold of, and um, has, you know, he's now right at the right, heading up what God is doing in that in that nation. And we believe we're going to see the transformation that God has has promised, and we're already seeing transformation in people's lives and. Heart. So sorry I've run over, but thank you so much. <laughs> sorry, you just, you just there. Okay, so th- there's there's two things I want us to do. Um, uh, the first is do- is Donna. Um, I mean, thank you, because uh, um, we do kind of a little thing with the poor here, but it's, yeah. Um, so I'd like I'd like to do two things. First of all, I, I would love you to pray for people would you be happy to do that so if anyone who would just want donna just to pray i just want you to stand where you are and then we're going to pray for you is that okay so so donna why don't you come up and take this mic i just think there's something to be imparted so we want donna to Yeah. Yeah, Father God. Lord, thank you that you are who you say you are. You're a faithful God. That you keep your promises, Lord God. And I thank you that you choose us, Lord, as your body here on earth, to be your hands and your feet to be those that will advance your kingdom in whatever area of influence you have us in. Lord, whether it's here in Brixton, in this nation, or in the nations of the world. Father, I just want to call forth today, Lord God, your plans and purposes for each and every person here, Lord God. Father, I want to pray for hearts that are surrendered to you, Lord God. Thank you that you use ordinary people Lord, who surrender to you, and thank you that you empower us by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would do such an incredible thing here in Brixton, Lord God. Father, I thank you for this community here that loves you, Lord God. And Father, I want to pray that today you would deposit so much more in them, Lord God. Father, I want to pray that you would um, break off um, any mindsets that say we can't do it, that we're disqualified, that we're only small. Thank you, God, that your church is on the move here in this nation, in Brixton, Lord God. Thank you for this hand-picked community of people that you have brought here for such a time as this, Lord God, to advance your kingdom. Jesus, would you pour out your Holy Spirit afresh today, I pray, Father, on each and every person. 
And can I just can I just ask you if you're one of those people that has disqualified yourself and if you think oh God hasn't got anything amazing for me to do I just believe God wants to come and break that off today and say that's a lie of the enemy for each and every one of you here today you are significant in the purposes of God And it's not about having to go to another nation, although God may call some of you there, but it's actually just about surrendering to the purposes of God. And it's about taking his word seriously, like our Chirama friends. And when you hear the voice of God like Everest did, even though it's about cows and it can seem a bit crazy, look what God did. Hundreds of thousands of people lifted out of poverty through his obedience. So, Father, come. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy in our lives. Lord God, thank you. You take us and accept us as we are, Lord God. But thank you for all that you have for us, Lord God. Thank you for all that you have, Lord God, for this region and this city. Lord, I pray that that the light would shine here, Lord God, that this church really would be a beacon of hope and of love, and of your kingdom, Lord God, in this area. And Lord, from here, that this nation and the nations of the world would be impacted. In Jesus' name, amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.